So reading today from John 11, uh, chapter, or verses 1 to 44. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, or this, yeah, this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, A short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. After he had said that, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them that, them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And then Thomas, called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, so that we may die with him. On his re- arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. 
But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, for I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth round his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. This is God's word. What a story. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. We're talking this summer about claims Jesus made, about the things he said about himself, those I am statements. I am something. And when he makes those claims and he says those things about himself, we're faced with the very stark reality that we can't just consider Jesus a good moral teacher or a wise man or a good prophet who just you know, talks about God. But he makes claims about himself that force us to ask the question, is Jesus more than that? Who is Jesus? Today's story is one of the most significant events, I think, in Jesus's ministry. He raised a guy from the dead. It's a big deal. It was a big deal to them. It's a wild story. You know, these words, they're often quoted, quoted in a lot of places. And the question for us is, what do they mean when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life? That's what we're wrestling through. The fact that only Jesus has the power to raise us from the dead, from death, and bring us into full life. Only Jesus has the power to raise us from death and bring us into full life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the resurrection. And these are words that are, I, I, we've heard, we heard them um, not that many months ago when we went to our friend's graveside. And I shared with you at the time when it happened, we went there to support them as they buried um, the, their unborn baby who died. And the reason why it compounded their grief was because they lost their two-year-old son a few years before to SIDS. He just died suddenly in the night. And so as they had all this hope in this new, new life coming and then lost this baby, we were in grief together. And as we stood at the graveside, the Anglican minister read these words, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. They're ancient words. They're these words that um, are spoken at lots of funerals. In my pastor book, that's one of the things. They say, this is a good scripture you should read. And this is why, because these words bring comfort, they bring hope to us that death is not the end. And you know what? In our story, these words are spoken to a woman who is in loss. 
she's struggling. She's facing um, this, this uh, challenge of trying to reconcile and comprehend the death of her brother. This is what she's battling. This is what she's facing. She's in shock and in pain. And these are the words spoken to her. She says, Lord, if you had been here, the first thing she says to him is, Lord, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. Both she and her sister say the exact same thing. Martha does it. Lord, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. Mary does it. Lord, if you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. And what they're saying is, where, where have you been? Where were you? Where were you? Savior, our friend, where were you? Where were you when Lazarus lay dying? Where were you when we waited and we watched believing you would come? When you dawdled by the Jordan and he lay choking his last breath? When his body grew cold and the roadway lay empty, where were you, Jesus? Were you healing strangers when death came to claim your friend? Where were you? When rigor mortis set in and we prepared his body, when we washed it with our tears, where were you? When we lost our breadwinner, our brother, where were you? And this same question, where were you, is a question lots of us have faced, whether you were his friend or not. Maybe you faced that question, where were you? Maybe you experienced pain in your dark hour and he waited. He wasn't there in that moment, taking his sweet time by the Jordan while you died, while you experienced loss or pain or grief. And you ask the question, where were you? In our story, death comes before resurrection. Death comes before resurrection. And in our story, it's a literal death. It's a you know, it could be a figurative death. It could be a physical death or a spiritual death. It doesn't really matter what kind of death. The fact is that death happens first. And for us, maybe, maybe it's you or me who needs to die first to ourselves, to our self-hope, our self-help, our self-life. Maybe it's that we die to our expectations of what this is going to be like or look like. Maybe you die to your old ego, your old ways, your old sin. And we go through that in repentance. When we turn from one thing to another, we experience a death in a way. Why does that happen? Jesus answers. He says, it's for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. We say, why did we have to go through that? Why couldn't you just come earlier and he would have been healed and we would have been okay? Why did we have to go through that? The answer is, so that the Son of God may be glorified. Jesus says, Lazarus died so that I could be named the resurrection. Lazarus died so that I could claim the resurrection. As the, That's a word over me, says Jesus. Romans chapter 6, verses 5 to 11 says this, For if we'd been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We enter into death like he did, And we enter into the resurrection with him. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would be no longer enslaved to sin. That's the answer why. Why did this, why why do we have to go through death? Why did Jesus go through death? In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. In order that we wouldn't be enslaved anymore. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So if we've died with Christ... We believe that we will also live with him. 
This is the good news. This is what we're talking about when we say, oh, I became a Christian. Oh, I'm a Christian. This is what we talk about. That we were in death. We lived in death. We were confronted with it every day. You are confronted. You read the newspaper. You look at the news with death. It's all around us. Death, death, death. And death in terms of sin for our hearts. My failure. My, the lies, the deception, the greed, the striving, whether it's divorce or lust or struggle or just the brokenness of our lives, adultery or pain or idolatry where we worship other things. We experience this death. And the problem is that we can't heal ourselves. We can't make ourselves better. It doesn't, you, maybe you've tried. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make it all better. Usually, we just make it worse. That's the beautiful story is that Jesus came in the midst of all of that and he was perfect. Although they accused him, everyone knew the accusations. Oh, this is crazy. Jesus didn't do any of that stuff. Even the governor who was going to execute him tried to get Jesus off because he said, this is crazy. This is just all made up stuff. Jesus walked in there innocent and then he took all of that stuff, all the sin and the shame and the darkness upon himself. And he paid for it. And he did it to set us free. And as he rose again, he offers his life in us. That we could rise with him in new life. We could experience his spirit in us. And we experience that at the end. That's the the resurrection Martha's talking about when she said, Oh yeah, Lazarus, he's going to rise at the end. We're going to see it all at the end when Jesus comes back and everything's made right. We have that hope. But we're also coming into it now, in this moment. I met my new niece this week. Little Luella. Super cute. We got to hold her, this fresh new baby. You know, these wrinkled fingers and the soft skin. It's been a while for us. Hold that tiny newness. And uh, just beauty bottled in this little being. We sat and we passed her around and everyone, I almost cried. Me too, I almost cried. I almost cried. We sat with my brother in the maternity waiting room while he worked through his trauma. It was the day they gave birth. He was like, wow, this was a big deal. I remember Lauren, (laughs) she said after our first baby, she walked around and she was like, that person was born. That person was born. That person was born. All these people were born. How did this happen? All these people were born. You know, it's a big deal, right? You two sings in uh, the song Yahweh, they sing, there is always pain before the child is born. And that's the truth of it. It's a picture of this experience. The other line in the song is, uh, why the dark before the dawn? And this is the, this is the reality that, dark, that, that there's pain and there's death and it leads into life, new life. The same thing is true for us, for us and for Lazarus. For four days, he's in the tomb. And suddenly, he's called out into new life. His life will never be the same. He has a new story, a new calling. It's, everything is new again. It's not an end for him. It's a beginning. He's beginning a new story as he walks out of that tomb. This word is a word of hope. I am the resurrection. For you and for me, maybe some of you need to write it on your wall above your sink. Jesus says, I am the resurrection for you. I am the resurrection. Only Jesus can redeem and restore and renew and awaken. And Lazarus is going to die again. He's not immortal now. 
Lazarus lived forever after that. No, he's still going to die. And so his hope is in Jesus as the resurrection in that moment and also at his physical death at some other point that there is another resurrection where he gets to be face-to-face with Jesus for eternity. And Jesus says, I am the life. I am the life. Now, I know I'm going on this theme because I held this baby, but um, so I was holding little Luella, Luella, and um, she's my flesh and blood. She's my niece. She's this tiny baby. And, and I realized something that babies aren't just born. They grow, and they learn, and they develop, and they become these little beings. And I know this because I watched as my baby was holding that baby my three-year-old baby, and my three-year-old baby looked like Godzilla holding this little baby. And she's cute. So, like, she is, so, you know. And I also watched my 12-year-old, my eldest, holding this baby, and I can remember holding her in one hand, throwing her up in the... No, I didn't do that. And having her first bath, I remember it so clear, and she cried and cried, and she got all red like a lobster, and, you know, I can remember that moment, and then I'm watching her holding this little tiny baby. And I realized this is a journey of where we are born, and then there's all of life that we experience. It's not just this one moment. It's our whole life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. It says in the NIV. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Jesus isn't just talking about that future moment when we'll see him face to face. And he isn't just talking about when he dies and he rises again, that he's the resurrection. He's talking about resurrection life for us right now, in this moment. And our new creation lives, as we become new creation in him, it meets death head on all the time. And if you are a new creation life, if you're a Christian, then you'll have experienced this, where you go out in this new creation life and you hit death all the time. It's like resurrection life meets musty tomb all the time in all sorts of different places, in all sorts of different ways. 2 Corinthians talks about this. It's one of my favorite passages. Chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, it says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. The treasure is the resurrection life of Jesus alive in us, but we have it in jars of clay. Oh, why not like a bank vault or something secure? But a jar of clay, man, that's scary. But it's to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. There's these two things that happen together. How How does the resurrection power of Jesus get evidenced in your life? It's in the weakness. It's in the brokenness that suddenly, whoa, there's Jesus. And there's that resurrection life. Unfortunately, I wish it happened when I looked strong and awesome, but it doesn't. It happens when I'm weak and broken. 
and Jesus meets me and demonstrates his power. This is the struggle, death and life happening at the same time over and over and over. I see it uh, in the longing my children have for heaven, and they remind me of my own longing for heaven. One of those moments, and I've talked about it before, was where um, before Miriam, we lost a baby, and uh, uh, an unborn baby. And um, so we went and we shared with the kids. Uh, it was really early in the pregnancy, and so we hadn't told them yet. And so we sat them down, and uh, we were grieving, and we shared with them, and all the kids were shocked and sad. And then Gabe started clapping. And I was like, what? What is wrong with you, kid? Whose child are you? Why? This is so inappropriate. And he was just, he started clapping. He was like, oh, that baby gets there first. We were like, oh, man. It's just, it was like, he, here he's like excited, you know. And little Mayel, over all the time, she's got these questions about, so if we want to get to heaven and that's going to be so awesome, why don't we just all want to go there right now? Like, do you want to go there right now? Because I kind of want to go there right now, you know. And there's this longing we have for that. And so we're in this struggle. That's part of the problem. We long for that when everything will be made right, and yet we live in this struggle. Romans 8 talks about it. It says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. There's that picture again, childbirth. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons or for sonship the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved for that future moment when everything will be made right. Jesus says he is the resurrection and the life, and that eternal life, that abundant life, is available now, and it's also available then. We are, it's these two things that happen together. Second Corinthians says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is. She is a new creation. The old has passed away. And the new has come. And yet, I might be a new creation, but I'm still blowing it all the time. (laughs) I still struggle in lots of moments, in lots of ways. And that's the struggle, right? It's the story of Jubilee. We talk about it when we talked about our name. And having this name, Jubilee, what does it mean? Well, we wanted a redemptive story. What does Jubilee mean? Well, Jubilee was every 49 years, way back in the day. Every 49 years they would have this one special year called Jubilee. It was this year of grace, specially put into the law, so that every 49 years in the 50th year, suddenly everything would be different. Slaves would be released. If you had big debts, they were erased. If you had land that you had sold to pay something, it would be returned to your family. Like, incredible. And the land would rest, and there'd be like, the grace of God would be over the the country and the people, and it was this beautiful year. When Jesus came and he stood up in the synagogue and he said, why am I here? Let me tell you why I'm here. I'm here for Jubilee. You want to know? This is it. I'm here to proclaim freedom for the captives. I'm here to proclaim that your debts of sin will be erased. That there will be freedom. There will be joy. And and it will be like the year of God's favor all the time. Grace and grace and grace. This is what Jesus came. And so we say, hey, that's what we want to be about too. And we're set free and we're being set free. Right? That's what we say. I say it a lot. Anyway, maybe it's just me. We're, we're set free and we're being set free. Galatians 5.13 talks about what is our new resurrection, jubilee life supposed to look like? 
Galatians says, For you were called to freedom, brothers, sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but, use, but through love serve one another. What's the free life supposed to look like? Love, serve, give. 1 Peter 2.16 says, Live as, free, as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. What's the free life supposed to look like? It's going to be better than the old life. That's for sure. You know, people often will say, well, you know, Christians are known for what they're against more than what they're for. It's a really common expression. You know, all Christians, we know what they're against because they're always saying what they're against. I was talking with someone and they were, this week we were talking about Christmas trees. And they asked me, like, I read something like the Christmas trees are bad. Like, are you, do you think, are Christmas trees bad? And we started talking about the Starbucks mermaid, too. She was, everyone, the Christians were against the Starbucks mermaid because she's a goddess. I don't know if you knew this, but, you know, she's a goddess. So we got to stay away from Starbucks. We talked about Easter. That word is, uh, comes out of a pagan thing. And we, you know, we got this word Easter. And it's like, whoa, whoa, okay. There's so many things. The list goes on and on and on. My answer was, our new life in Christ is about freedom to take and redeem the world around us. So you know what? That's my Christmas tree. That's my Christmas tree. I'm taking it back. If it was someone else, I'm taking it back. Because I love the Christmas tree. I got six in my house. I keep them up all year. No. This is my Easter. I'm going to take that word. Has we got a problem with the word? I'm going to redefine it, and I'm going to use it all the time. This is going to be my word. The Starbucks mermaid, she's, I'm not leaving Starbucks. I'm sorry. So instead, under the Starbucks mermaid, I will lead people to Jesus, and they will proclaim and experience his new life under the Starbucks mermaid, and she can become a picture of hope and of joy in the redemption and the power of Jesus. I don't really care. Nothing stands in my way because death has been overcome, and I experience the resurrection life of Jesus. You and I have been set free by Jesus not to go back to some kind of old sin-dead life where we're living for our lust and our passion and the old desires. We experience life as free people. So the question anymore isn't, what am I allowed to do as a Christian? The question is, what does the free life look like? What does it look like to go out and experience free life, resurrection life, alive in Jesus? Who does it touch? Who does it impact? How are they changed? Holy and set apart, and resurrected, and awake, and alive. Jesus makes this massive claim. He says, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. And then he asks Martha this really important question. He says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And I think it's a question for us this morning, a question that should kind of sit in our hearts for a bit, and maybe we wrestle through it a little bit. Do you believe this? Because if you believe it, then the next question would be, what does it mean to your life? If you'd say, yes, I believe it. And if you don't believe it, if you're like, I don't know, I'm still trying to figure all this out. I don't know if I believe it. Then the question would be, what would it take for you to believe it? What are the obstacles? Are there questions you're wrestling through? Are there things you don't know? What would it take for you to believe it? At some point in my Christian life, I began to wrestle with this word believe because it's in the Bible a lot. Believe and be saved. Believe and be saved. I believe. I believe. Oh, I believe. Oh, don't I believe for sure. 
But then I started struggling with this word. I started thinking, man, I, I know I believe this. I believe Jesus, you know, is the son of God. I believe he died. And I believe in this whole Bible and this story. But, but I just wonder if I believed it with 100% of me, if my life would look different. If all of me believed this with all of my heart, would my life look different? And so I started wondering, what does it mean to really believe something? C.S. Lewis talks about this. He wrestles through this idea when he talks about the, the picture of sending something in the mail, a package in the mail, and he wraps it up in the twine, you know, in his the little bit of twine. And he says, I trust this twine to hold my package through the rigors of the mail. You know those mailmen. They're always trying to break things. So I know it will hold. I know it will be strong. I trust it. I believe in it. And I send it off in the mail. And he says, that's one thing. It's another thing when you take that same twine and you hang off the edge of a precipice and you're hanging by that same twine and it's your life on the line. Would you still say, I believe it will hold. I believe, I trust it. He says, those are, that's two different things. And that's the struggle we're wrestling through because Christianity is not a religious endeavor. It's not a series of rules or it's not morality that you can just live by. It's not a once a week gold star checklist system. It is dead people coming to life. That's what Christianity is. It's dead people coming to life, finding life because of Jesus. And Martha's standing on the dusty roadside. She's looking into the face of Jesus. Martha, whose brother's dead. Martha, whose Jesus was too late. And looking into that compassionate face, he asks her the question, what do you believe? When you've lost everything, when it's all fallen to the ground, when you're standing just looking at him, what do you believe? You've got nothing else to hold on to. What do you believe? And Martha answers this. She says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. That's her answer. And I think when you can finally answer like Martha, that two things will happen. I think when, when everything falls and you look in his face and you say, yes, I believe. In spite of everything falling, I believe. Two things will happen. One, you will be changed. And two, you will be dangerous. You will be changed and you will be dangerous. When you are dead and you come to life, you cannot be the same. That doesn't make any sense. Can you imagine? If you were dead and you came to life and then you're like, yeah, I'm just going to go on and keep doing the same stuff. Yeah, you know, I watch that show on TV. And you're like, you were dead. You came alive. You will not be the same. I knew a guy, he, uh, he used to go to our church many, many, many years ago. And he worked in the mill. And uh, this one day, the, the big, huge roller that crushes the wood got stuck. And so he did the safety thing, you know, went boop, 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 turned it off. And then he went to the thing, shut it down or whatever, climbed in there and started undoing the pieces from under the roller or whatever. And he got, gets it unstuck and he climbs out of the thing and a guy is walking toward him and the guy is just white. And the guy looks at him and as they're looking at each other and he's like, what? What's wrong with him? Suddenly the roller starts going. And he's like, what just happened? And the guy who's white says, Someone told me you were out already, and I turned it on. And I don't know why it didn't go on, so I came down here to see. So why didn't it go on? And the other guy's like, 
he turns white, my friend, and he's like, whoa. And he walked around for weeks, and he was just like, I was dead. I was dead in that roller. That's me dead in the roller, crushed. This is a new me (laughs) who's alive, walking around. Imagine you sit up from your funeral. You, you were in your casket, and you sit up, and you get out. You, you would tell that story all the time, wouldn't you? Every time you have someone over, hey, guess what? Yeah, I was dead in my casket, and uh, yeah, they were doing the funeral, and I sat up. I was alive. Like, that's a story you would tell, wouldn't it? You could not be the same. 2 Corinthians four thirteen and 15 in the message says, we're not keeping this quiet, not on your life. Just like the psalmist who wrote, I believed it, so I said it. We say what we believe, and what we believe is that the one who raised up the master Jesus will just as certainly raise us up with you alive. Every detail works to your advantage and to God's glory. Every detail works to God's advantage, or to your advantage and to God's glory. More and more grace, more and more people, more and more praise. What if that was your refrain? That was your anthem? More and more grace, more and more people, more and more praise. Someone said, what's your life about? More and more grace, more and more people, more and more praise. What's this church about? More and more grace, more and more people, more and more praise. What a story that would be. And when you are changed, you become dangerous. This is what happens to Lazarus. John chapter 12, so the next chapter after this, 9 to 11, it says, when the large crowds of the Jews learned that Jesus was there. He was coming back to Bethany to go to Jerusalem. They came, not only on account of him, on G- because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. They want to kill Jesus, and we know why, because Jesus keeps saying things like, I'm the resurrection and life. I'm the door. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the, he, the way, the truth, and the life. He says all these things, and they want to kill him. But now they want to kill Lazarus. They want to kill Lazarus? He just came back from the dead. That's so unfair, isn't it? What's the deal with that? Well, he'd get raised and then killed? That's just not fair. Why do they want to kill him? Because a walking, talking Lazarus is, an, is, is the very advertisement that, that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. It's that very thing in real life. Everywhere Jesus goes, people say, oh, where's the guy? Yeah, do, have you seen the guy? No, there's Jesus. Yeah, no, not that guy. Yeah, oh, there he is. He's the tall one. Yeah, right in the back. Yeah, that's the guy. That's the guy. He was dead, and now he's alive. Jesus raised him to life. And the question for you and for me would be, who knows that you've been resurrected? That you went from death in your old life, and you experienced resurrection life as you came to trust Jesus as you invited his presence to come and live in you and transform you, you became resurrected. You went down into the waters of baptism in death, and you were raised up to life. That's the picture. So who knows that you've been resurrected? When we move from death to life, we become dangerous to the dominion of darkness, and we become, without trying, an advertisement for God's glory. So in conclusion, only Jesus has the power to raise us from death and bring us into full life. Jesus is the resurrection. Death comes before resurrection, so we're faced with that struggle, that that thing.
thing in our face that death is there, that we experience death in so many ways. But all this is happening in order that Jesus might be glorified as the resurrection. Jesus is the life. And our lives confront the sin-scarred world all the time, every day. But our new life is a free life that's better than the old one. We experience his resurrection life, his resurrection power in us, transforming us and changing us. And the question for each one of us, whether you believe in Jesus and you're a Christian or whether you don't know what you believe, the question is, do you believe it? And if the answer is yes, you will be changed and you will be dangerous. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your claims that you, you force us to, to look at who you are. You force us to, to ask the hard questions about you. We can't just come and read the Bible and learn good things about how to live. You haven't left us with that option. And when you claim to be the resurrection and the life, Jesus, you, you, you offer everything. And I pray, Lord, that today we would, um, we would confront the places where we experience death. We would invite you into those places and see what you can do. That you are working things in our life to our advantage and to your glory when we surrender to you because of who you are, because of your love and your goodness, you can make dead things come to life. And so we bring them to you knowing who you are. We thank you.